If you'd open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. Sorry, Calvin, I didn't turn on the lapel yet. All right, there we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. While you're turning there, let me, let me just uh, remind you uh, on Wednesday night after dinner, uh, because of some of our space issues, um, if you are eating in the fellowship hall, you have to leave at 630. Uh, so you can come in here. Uh, or you can go in the kitchen and help out uh, if you want to clean, wash dishes, mop the floor, dust the fans, whatever you want to do. Uh, but we got to have we got to have the uh, the space, and we want people out of there primarily just so that it's uh, less of a distraction uh, for the kids that are using the space. So we'd appreciate your help uh, with all that. Let's go to the Lord, Father. As always, we are grateful for the privilege we have, the opportunity we have to come together and to worship you. And Father, we have many desires when we gather together. We want our hearts to be encouraged. We want to be strengthened. Uh, Father, we want to hear from you. We want to uh, come together and support each other as brothers and sisters in Christ as we seek to continue to live day in and day out for you and to be used by you in the lives of others, whether it's in our families or those that we work with or uh, in our neighborhood or whatever activities we have going on. Uh, we know, Lord, that we need your blessing. We need your grace. And Father, we desire to receive those things from you because we are dependent upon you for really everything in life. We ask, Father, for your blessing as we continue our trek through 2 Corinthians and ask, Lord, that you would continue to help us, Father, to not only understand Scripture, but really to think biblically in all that we do. We do thank you and do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 2 Corinthians 10, once again, verses 3 through 6, Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh... We are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, over the past several weeks, we've talked about the importance of fighting the flesh and Paul's use of the term warfare. Uh, again, Paul makes it clear here that he is not walking or living in the flesh because that's been the accusation against him, that he is just not spiritual enough. Uh, and so these false teachers, these super apostles, these, these individuals who've kind of come into the church uh, that are wanting to be the authority, wanting to take his place, that's the accusations they've been throwing out. He also says that he is not waging war in the flesh, or you could say according to the flesh, uh, that the weapons he is using are not of the flesh. So as we talked last week, we know that we have a responsibility to evaluate our thinking and our behavior as Christians in light of the scripture. And we are to continually seek to conform our lives to God's word. And when we think about it, I do believe that we often face the same kind of problem today that Paul faced back around 62 AD in Corinth. Basically, it would be this. There are teachers, false teachers, are claiming that they are eminently qualified, teaching and using and bringing unbiblical practices into the church, ignoring the spiritual weapons that God has given us and replacing them with fleshly weapons to supposedly engage in spiritual warfare, to defeat Satan and aid you in your walk with the Lord, teaching and practices such as binding Satan, praying a hedge of thorns or protection, renouncing generational curses, naming and praying against territorial spirits, pleading the blood of Jesus, etc. The legitimacy of those statements and those practices 
is almost always assumed and it's never questioned. So I'm not going to be questioning the intentions of those who teach and practice some of these things. Some of them, I am sure, mean well. But we need to look at the methodology and examine these things in the light of the Word of God. Because these things are not only done in charismatic churches, they are also practiced in conservative, Bible-believing, gospel-centered churches. And so tonight, tonight, this morning, don't worry, this is not going till evening. But anyway, uh, we're going to be talking specifically about this phrase, you may have heard it said before, that you need to pray a hedge of thorns around someone, around some issue, or most commonly it's called a hedge of protection. You may have even heard someone pray that, using that language in their prayer, praying that the Lord will put a hedge of protection around this person or that person. Uh, the idea is to erect a spiritual hedge around a person, to place a thing or a person uh, or place this hedge in order to, pro to prohibit satanic influence or attack. Once the hedge is prayed around someone, uh, what is taught is that Satan and or his demons cannot get through. It's a little different from binding Satan, which we'll, we'll talk about that one day, but not today. Uh, but the idea of praying a hedge is that you're not taking away Satan's ability, but you are protecting someone from him. It is taught that with this, uh, uh, your prayer prevents demonic or satanic influence in the life or the mind of the person who's prayed for. Uh, if I put together the sentiment of many of their books and items that are stated on their websites, uh, they will say this, the Bible's hedge of protection is impenetrable. It is an impenetrable force lined with long stakes, razor-sharp thorns, and heavy spears. be hard-pressed to prove that, but that's what they say. Uh, when you read some of the prayers, in fact, you can find this online if you want to. They will give you or write out these prayers for someone to pray. And in there, at the end of one of the prayers that I was looking at, it said this. There shall be no perforations or penetrations to these hedges of protection according to your word in Psalm 91. I know that you will answer this prayer because I love you, and I trust in your name only. I pray that your blood, Lord Jesus, will cover me and all that you have given me. So the way that it normally works is you would pray, Lord, I pray a hedge of protection around this house in Jesus' name, or around my kids in Jesus' name. Reading through, again, a lot of their material, a great deal of it dealing with spiritual warfare. Uh, praying this prayer once sometimes is not enough. You are encouraged to pray this regularly or daily, sometimes several times a day. Now, I'm not sure why that's encouraged. I guess it could be that the hedge begins to break down, or maybe Satan finds a way around it or over it. But the idea, again, when that language is used, what is taught is that when you pray that, Satan cannot get through that. If you pray that protection around someone physically, spiritually, what have you, Satan cannot get through that. Some believe that this first came about through the Bill Gothard seminars called Basic Youth Conflicts. And so in there, he uses Hosea 2 and Job 1 as support. So we'll look at that because those verses are often looked at in this teaching. All right. So Hosea chapter 2, verse 6 is the main verse. And it says, therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns. I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. So some will look at that verse. And this is, and this is literally what I have heard some individuals say. See, 
the word hedge is there. And so because of that, immediately the idea is that this whole thing is biblical because the word hedge appeared in Hosea. The problem is this. When you take a look at the verse, Hosea is not praying against demonic forces. Hosea, if if you are unfamiliar, Hosea was a prophet of God. He was called to be himself an object lesson to Israel. God commanded Hosea to marry a prostitute. Hosea chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibaliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. So the practices of harlotry or adultery and impurity were commonly used to illustrate the defiling and the polluting nature of of the spiritual apostasy of the nation of Israel. You see that used more than once in the Old Testament. Spiritual adultery is illustrated by physical adultery. So when you read through the entire second chapter of Hosea, you will come across several references to Israel's unfaithfulness. However, there is no references anywhere to spiritual warfare or how to prevent satanic influence, etc. In fact, Hosea is describing judgment, not protection. A coming judgment on Israel that involved hedging them in with thorns so they would return to him. Hosea chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore I will hedge up her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. She shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she shall say, she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me than now. In the Christian Standard Version of the Holman, if you use that, it reads this way, therefore this is what I will do. I will block her way with thorns. I will enclose her with a wall so that she cannot find her paths. She will pursue her lovers, but not catch them. She will seek them, but not find them. Then she will think, I will go back to my former husband, for then it was better for me, for then it was better for me than now. So the hedge was not for the people of Israel, it was against them. It was judgment, not protection. God was revealing that Israel was about to experience severe judgment for her spiritual adultery. Her idolatrous paths, her pursuit of other gods would be marked by difficulty and a pain and pain hedged in by thorns. And the pain and the difficulties that they encounter are listed. When you read through the book of Hosea, some of them are stated this way. I will make her, that's Israel, like a desert. She will be like a parched land, and I will let her die of thirst. I will have no compassion on her children. I will take back my grain in its time. I will take away my wool and linen. No one will rescue her from my hands. I will devastate her vines and fig trees. So all of that language is used to describe God's judgment against Israel. And so this hedge of thorns is then going to be, in a sense, built by God against her to cause her to have misery and pain so that she will then basically wake up and come to her senses. The idea then is that experiencing this misery that's, brought, that's been brought about by spiritual adultery, they will conclude that they should go back to her first husband, which is God. That's the idea here. They should go back to God because this is not going well. So when you understand the context, it kind of renders the teaching of praying a hedge in spiritual warfare really as being ridiculous. In fact, Hosea wasn't praying for anything here. God was speaking, and he was telling Hosea what he was to say. 
So again, sometimes what happens is, is if we're not listening closely or carefully, and oftentimes, not only false teachers aren't the only ones who do this, sometimes people who actually are teaching the Bible correctly will do things incorrectly. <laughs> where you know, you'll use a verse out of context, or you will not maybe uh, take a verse the way that it is meant and, and explain it in a way that is incorrect. We should never do that. Uh, we always want to be careful in the way that we handle the Word of God. But what happens is here is you read the verse and the individual says, see, there's a hedge of thorns and then they just go off on a hedge of thorns and create an entire teaching that has nothing to do with what God was saying. Nothing at all. And people will, they're, they're sitting there shaking their head and people are going, amen, and they're, they're getting caught up in that. And that's always the danger. Always the danger is when that begins to happen. I'm always amazed at when, when I hear uh, false teaching. I'm never amazed that people teach some of these things. I, I'm not amazed by that. I, I, I expect that to happen. I am grateful to God that I have not been, uh, uh, that I've not succumbed to, to that kind of teaching. Amen. But what always amazes me is just the number of people sitting there listening in agreement, just kind of going along, assuming that everything that's being said is true. And that's why you should always, you know, you, you know, I always begin my sermons always the same way. It always open your Bibles too. I guess I should add, like I said last week, open your Bibles or your phones too. Uh, but the idea is that you get to the passage and you are reading it. And even if you've not studied it before, I would venture to say that most of the time, if I was just to launch off into something that has nothing to do with what's going on, you'd be able to spot that. You'd be like, what the, where's, he, where's, that, where's he getting that from? You might even say, you know, that was pretty good, but it's got nothing to do with that. You know, hopefully you would still say that. You'd say, man, that was just bad in every way. You know, I don't know where he got that from, what he said was wrong, and it has nothing to do with the text. You know, that's, that's a bad thing when that takes place. But the idea is, is that that's, that's where this, you know, this teaching, uh, this, again, praying a hedge of thorns, or more commonly what I've heard is praying a hedge of protection, uh, that the teaching that goes with that, which is primarily that you pray that and there's nothing Satan can do. I don't know what those people do if, when that prayer doesn't work. You pray a hedge of protection around someone and something bad happens. Now, what does that mean? Because the teaching is, is that Satan cannot do certain things. Turn, if you would, to, to the book of Job, Job chapter 1. We'll look at the other uh, main passage that people use in teaching this. And again, the idea is for us to see biblically if something is correct or incorrect. It's always what it's about. It's never about who has just a better argument or sounds better. We, we want the argument to make sense and to be logical, but it needs to be based on the scripture, no matter what the teaching is. And that's why when, uh, it's always should be uh, kind of a warning flag to us when someone says something like, I've never seen this before. And, and it could be because it's not there. Now, it's not always the case. Sometimes we come across things we've never seen because we were unaware of certain things. That's not always a bad thing, but we should, our ears should kind of you know, perk up when we hear that. Or when someone comes along and says something that, you know, well, I, I've not found this in any of the commentaries I've read. Now, I'm really paying attention when I hear that. Now, I wonder, A, how many commentaries did they read? Who did they read? And why have they not come across what we're about to hear? Um, and sometimes it becomes painfully obvious uh, because whatever they say is not in the scripture. 
But in Job chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, it says, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan the Lord answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. Now, just so you know, maybe I do this often. I have these conversations in my head. Now, I'm not, I don't think I'm crazy, um, but it's, just, it's an imaginary conversation. And so the conversation goes this way. We just read this verse. And this imaginary person in my head, don't worry, I don't make this imaginary person breakfast or eggs or anything. I, I know they're not real. But this person says to me, there it is, Bob. I cannot believe you had us look at that verse. There is a hedge. It's clearly for protection. That did keep Satan from attacking Job. What are you doing? Well, you're right. The text does mention a hedge. And it does give some protection to Job. But this passage, but does this passage support the practice of praying a hedge? Several questions. What was this hedge and where did it come from? We do see God's sovereign protection and blessing on Job. Absolutely, it's there. Notice there's no mention of anyone praying this for Job. In fact, we glimpse here into the spiritual realm, something we cannot affect. We see God's sovereign protection of his people and the continu continuance or removal of that protection for his own sovereign and self-glorifying purposes. That's what we see. Again, we can know that the hedge was not placed in response to prayer. True, Satan could not penetrate it, not because someone kept praying the prayer, but it was put in place by God alone, and it is removed by God alone for God's reasons alone. I don't think you can construe from this passage the teaching that we can pray a prayer of protection and expect certain results. In fact, I would say that what we can get from this is that God does protect his children. And when evil happens to us, we know that God has allowed it. Because here, Satan's complaining he can't do anything to Job because of this hedge that God's put around him. And we know that God says, okay, I'll let you go this far. And later on, God says, okay, I'll let you go a little farther. And then later on, God says, okay, I'll let you go a little farther, but you can't go past here. So that's there, but no one's praying that. No one's standing on a street corner proclaiming uh, a hedge of protection around anything because they want something protected or what have you. That teaching's not in here. So we do see God's sovereign protection of his people. I think that's absolutely true. And, and so we should all take comfort in that. And so you don't have to worry about praying that prayer over and over again because if you slip up one day, then you're suddenly or your children are not protected. And I don't think we have to live in that kind of fear. But I don't believe we need to succumb to really what I believe is a kind of a superstitious uh, kind of teaching that uh, is not biblical at all. It is not unbiblical even for you and I to pray for protection. But there are no prayers in the Bible that have anything to do with thorns and hedges against Satan. There are no prayers such as this that we are to pray to advance the kingdom or to stop the work of Satan. When we travel, when we go to an unsafe area, we do ask God to protect us from physical harm. But when you send your son 
or, or daughter off to college, it's not a biblical practice to pray a hedge of protection and think somehow Satan cannot get through that. It is God's will to protect them, to protect his people. How? Well, we know primarily God does it through what? Truth. We were talking about that. When we embrace the truth, understand the truth, live the truth, and appropriate the truth, then we are doing what is mentioned in verse 5 of the passage you read this morning, which is we are destroying arguments and every lofty opinion that is raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. There's our protection. This is what God wants us to be involved in and to do. Remember how Paul prayed for his brothers and sisters. He prayed for their understanding of the truth. So it is biblical to pray for protection, to be delivered from the influence of the evil one, and to pray that people would hear the truth, that the Lord will remove the binders. It's biblical to pray that. So I'm not against those things. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. It has to do with the particular teaching or body of teaching around this idea of praying a hedge. In fact, let me read to you from Psalm 121, verses 7 through 8. It reads this way. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Sometimes you hear individuals read that and go, well, there it is. That's the verse I'm going to claim for my life. Well, we know that the Psalms are poetic prayers. They do express the deepest feelings and thoughts of the, psalm, of the psalm writers in a wide variety of circumstances. But we also need to remember this, that the psalms should not be read as a systematic theology with every phrase taken as a prosaic, standalone truth. So when the writer of Psalm 121 affirms, the Lord will keep you from all harm, he, is, he does not qualify it as if he were writing a treatise on the problem of evil. He doesn't even feel the need to take into consideration other perspectives found in the Psalms. Rather, he is speaking hyperbolically to celebrate the overarching and faithful care of God. So one Psalm is not meant to give us the whole picture. Only when we take all the Psalms together in the context of the Holy Scripture do we begin to grasp the full truth of who God is and how he relates to us. That's what we need to remember when we, when we emphasize the teaching of the whole counsel of God. It's not always the idea that some individual teaches something negative or positive here, and so the whole counsel of God is we then teach the opposite thing that's said in Scripture over here. That may be part of it, but the way that we understand what is being taught is taken in the context of the whole Bible. God preserved for us 66 books. And so we want to keep all those things in mind, and the more that we grow as believers and learn what the Scripture says, these things all begin to come into our mind as we read the Word of God. Because we know that if you take Psalm 121 by itself and then begin to think that if you believe what that verse says, nothing bad will ever happen to you physically, we already know that's not reality. We already know that. We already know that every single one of us is going to die until the Lord returns, when death will then be overcome in that sense. We know this. And so I wonder sometimes what goes through the minds of people who, will, who may pray this way or proclaim Psalm 121 as being absolute. What do they do then if they believe that for themselves and then when they turn 60 or 70 or whatever age it is and the doctor then says, you know, you have cancer? 
So did God fail? Because if, that, if you're saying this is dogmatically all that God is saying and that he is protecting me in this way, then apparently he's failed. Because we are proclaiming that's what he's done. Now, do I believe that the Lord will protect us? Once again, absolutely. I believe that with all my heart. And I believe that's true. I also know that God, as you read through the scripture, has never promised that he would keep us from every single bad thing that could happen. We know that believers die of diseases just like non-believers do. We die of heart attacks just like non-believers do. We sometimes just die of old age like non-believers do. Sometimes we die in car accidents just like non-believers do. There is no promise in the Bible that we are, as each individual, protected from those things ever happening to us. We understand the reality of things. And so as we look at the Word of God and we begin to understand, and of course you kind of continue to back up, what is the purpose of God? That we know that there is evil in the world. We know that we, that we all have to suffer and put up with the effects of sin, the curse of sin that's in the world. We know that sometimes, maybe often, we suffer because of the sins of others, because of their bad decisions or because of their bad actions. That happens a great deal. And this kind of suffering goes on throughout the world. And we, we tend to be in this country a little more protected from some of those things than others for various reasons. But the bottom line is, is we know that that's the reality of the world we live in. None of that negates what the Word of God says. And so there are these individuals, though, who are operating in the flesh. They want to, they're going to espouse these things. They're going to say things that are very appealing to the flesh. It's very appealing to people. They want to hear they want to hear from someone who they think maybe is authoritative that nothing bad will ever happen to you. As we've often talked about the health and wealth kind of preachers, people want to hear that God wants you to be rich and that God wants you to be wealthy and that there's ways you can use the word of God to be able to, to get those things. We want to hear that. We gravitate to that. Maybe you don't as an individual, and that's good, but people in general we know that, that's, that we know that it works because when you look at some of these churches or some of these gatherings uh, where that is clearly the message, it attracts thousands, thousands of individuals, tens of thousands go to that. And so we know that to be true. So it's not that we're trying to be, you know, sometimes people say, well, you're always, going, you're always trying to be negative. I'm not trying to be negative. I just want to be a realist. This is what the Bible says. But life... Again, as Christians, all this bad stuff that goes on, life is still precious. It's wonderful. It is great. And whether you're rich or poor, life is wonderful. And I don't have to pretend that bad things don't happen. I don't have to live in fear and say, nope, the Lord's not going to let anything bad happen to me. I'm, you know, he's not doing, we're not, we don't have to do all that. And we have an understanding. In other words, so that when bad things happen, our life doesn't fall apart. We don't, we're not the ones saying, I can't believe that God let this happen. How do these things happen? I've heard guys before who get arrested. Who they, they've, they're literally thinking this way. One guy told me, he says, I just don't say why I've been arrested. I said, well, you were arrested for like, like breaking the law, right? Well, yeah, but that was a long time ago. And I've been going to church. And so I ask them, I say, well, oh, well, how long have you been going to church? And they'll tell me how many weeks it is. 
Sometimes it ends up being, well, I mean, I haven't been all that faithful. But sometimes, well, I've been going for, for several weeks. So there was this one guy, he had been in several times before, so we kind of knew each other. And I did do this. He said, I don't understand why I've been arrested. I go, what do you mean you don't understand why I've been arrested? He said, man, these charges are from like four years ago. I said, well, I said, it's between you and me. I said, did, did you do them? He said, well, I mean, yeah. You know, I said, oh, okay. He said, he said but chaplain, man, I, man, I've been faithful in church. I said, really? He goes, I don't miss. I said, how, how, how many weeks in a row have you been going? He said, chaplain, I, man, when I, when I think, it's been at least 10 weeks in a row. I said, oh, man. See, the Bible says you've got to go 12 weeks in a row. <laughs> and if you go 12 weeks in a row, then these bad things won't happen. And for a moment, he looked at me and goes, chaplain. I said, I said, it sounds kind of dumb, doesn't it? He said, well, yeah. But sometimes we kind of think that way, maybe not to that degree, but that's there. So these things are very, you know, we wonder, how do all these people want to listen to these? Well, that's the reason why. We like this stuff. So that's why, once again, and what, what are these false teachers almost always saying when you listen to them? That they are eminently qualified to teach these things. They have a, a special anointing from God. They have experiences with God that I don't have. That's why some of them tell stories. I've heard, I've listened to them do it. That, you know, they were in their bathroom <laughs> shaving. And the Lord appeared to them and put his arm around their shoulder. And began to give them advice on, I guess, certain things to teach on. I'm convinced that if I am in the bathroom shaving and the Lord was to appear before he put his arm around me, I'd be on the ground. Amen. And I probably would have cut myself on the way down with the razor. You don't, you don't just stand there and have a casual conversation with the Lord Almighty. It just doesn't happen. And they talk about the, you know, but what happens is these stories then are, are being given to let you know how special they are. They are spiritual. They have those kinds of encounters. And so, and people, wow. I mean, that's amazing. Can you imagine the Lord being in your bathroom talking to you while you shave? And he must be, I mean, I've heard people say that. He must be really special. Man, if I could be close to God like that. And of course, then you can't question or you don't question whatever comes out of their mouth. They're operating in the flesh. They're appealing to the flesh, all the while proclaiming to be spiritual. And sometimes that's done in such a way, maybe not overtly so, but the idea is, is that you can't question and I can't question what they say because we're not like them. Well, I, I mean, I've not had God speak to me like that. And they make that the issue. Well, one day, boy, when you have enough faith, you will. And then you'll know that what I'm telling you is the truth and things of that nature. And so when, we, so when we begin to go back to the Bible and examine these teachings and realize that there's no substance here, there's no foundation for this praying a hedge of protection, we, you know, it, it can sound like you're just being the party pooper. But the idea is we want to be biblical. I want to have a good, solid understanding. And so running around praying a hedge of protection doesn't do anything for anybody. It's false teaching. It's giving people the wrong idea about God, about life, about everything else. And so that's, and so as I said before, it's not only in maybe some churches we think that it would be happening to. 
I have heard individuals that I, that I know, that in a sense I know they should know better. And yet because some other, maybe what we might consider an evangelical Christian has said or written and used that terminology or phrasing, or they heard it in a seminar, they now are, it's, whether it's the fad or a new thing, I don't know what it is, uh, but they're, they're saying that. Say, well, brother, I, I know you go the hard time. We need to pray a hedge of protection. I was teasing Jeremy Helmick this morning. He didn't know all what I was going to be getting into, but, you know, some people in his family are sick. And I said, brother, what's going on? We need to pray a hedge of protection on your family. Now he knows that I wasn't being serious about that. Pray for his family, absolutely, but not that. So I, I hope if you've ever been caught up in that, it's okay. We're human beings. We, we make mistakes. We can get caught up in things for all kinds of reasons. We want to make sure we check things with the scripture and make sure we have an understanding of that. And that, that the way that God interacts with us as normal, regular people is through his written word that we can read and study for ourselves. And he has a very clear view of the world and what it's like and explains to us what that is so we can have understanding. So we can live life to the fullest, so we can understand it, and then also understand the bad that comes and why it's coming and be able to cope with it and deal with it. Because we know that God is always going to be with us and that he's not necessarily preventing that from happening, but he's never going to abandon us in that. And that he is one who can still heal, absolutely, but we also know that he normally doesn't, but he will never leave us alone, he will never forsake us. And what we know as believers is in the end, when God calls one of us home, we know where we are going. And it does make a huge difference when you know that. And for those individuals who can get caught up in these kinds of things, sometimes I think they're being set up for great disappointment and a time of fear later in their lives because they're not receiving that. They're getting this, to pray a hedge of protection when there's nothing like that in the Bible. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your grace and again for the teaching of your word. We thank you, Lord, that you allow us to have your word, a, a copy of your word, so we can read it and study it, and we can check the things that are being taught in your name. We pray that you would help us, Father, to come to a good, solid understanding. Not, Lord, that we can just win an argument or be right, but, Lord, that we may know the truth, that we may live out the truth, that the truth may deeply affect the way we think, the way we feel about things. That, Father, we may have understanding, that we may have strength, that, Father, our hearts may be encouraged, and that we also may have joy, even in the midst of trouble. We thank you, Lord, that we can come to you and pray about anything. We are grateful, Lord, that we can ask you to protect our children. But, Father, we also know that as you do protect them, we have a mature view of life and your word, and we understand what that means. And we understand that your will and your purposes will always prevail. And we know, Lord, that we need to make sure that we are always submitting ourselves to your will and to what you say and accepting that and embracing that and then getting our strength and our comfort from you. We also know, Lord, that when it comes to much of the protection that we want to have for our children, that it comes from our children being taught the truth. Being, seeing the truth being lived out before them in our lives and practicing the truth together. We pray you help us, Father, to, that we would avail ourselves of what your word tells us and that we would live in obedience to your word, that our children and loved ones would have that kind of protection that you talk about. We do thank you. 
And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.